You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 96 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode I'm talking to the content producer Dr. Janine Saget of the documentary From Shock to Awe, which is a feature-length documentary that will chronicle the journeys of military veterans as they seek relief from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And they do this with the help of ayahuasca, MDMA and cannabis. And the documentary will be an intimate look at how these substances can be used to heal these military veterans. And by extension also their uh, loved ones, family members, children and friends. They keep giving me new medication. It just keeps me more confused, more in the dark. I don't know where I'm going with all this shit no more. So I told myself, why don't they fucking shoot us? They just shoot us. You come back from the war, shoot me a bullet in the head. Because that at least would be a favor. Necessity converted me to cannabis. What it's done in one little plant has taken the place of all these different pharmaceuticals that I was given. One, for my pain, for my anger, for my mood stabilization, for my appetite, for all this stuff. And it allows me to show up. From shock to awe, we'll shine a light on treatments for our vets that can relieve their suffering. I just want us to stop once and for all. So thanks for being on the podcast. Well, you're quite welcome. We're always happy to share the content of our movie. So thank you for having us. So can you... Tell the listeners a bit about who you are and your role in, in the documentary and just a bit general so they know who you are. Yes. Well, the documentary is called From Shock to Awe. And the subtitle is Healing Veterans with Ayahuasca, MDMA, and Cannabis. So the movie itself is... Take tracking stories of veterans going through this transformation from pharmaceuticals with their PTSD all the way through using the plant medicines and MDMA. My, I am the content producer, and along with Luke Cote, who's the director and proper filmmaker, um, the two of us are making this movie together. And what uh, made you start doing this? Is it because you personally know some some vets, or what's the reason, initial reason why you made it? Well, the, yes, well, a couple things. The, the first thing actually was because of my own experiences with LSD in 1970 and in the early 70s because it had such a profound effect on my life. So when I started seeing the research coming out, using psychedelics such as psilocybin and, and others, LSD, etc., for therapeutic and spiritual benefits, um, that caught my interest. I'm also, I was raised in the military. My father was a career army officer. And so I 
it's in my blood. And when I started seeing these reports come out about 22 suicides a day for veterans uh, returning from Iraq and Afghanistan, many of them, and the PTSD problem for which for many of these soldiers, nothing is really helping them. That's when it all came together. And Luke had already made a movie on PTSD with Canadian veterans in 2005. So all of these forces came together to make us interested in getting this story out. So the n- normal problem by, with being a veteran is this co- thing called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. But uh, for most people who don't have PT- PTSD, it just sounds like depression in some way. But c- can you explain more what it is for people so they can get an idea of what it actually is? Yes. it's By the way, PTSD is not limited to um, to veterans. Many people who have trauma, such as rape victims or first responders, also exhibit this syndrome. And it is, it's, it's really a collection of symptoms. And a person diagnosed with PTSD doesn't necessarily have all of them. But some of the common things we see with our veterans are uh, hypervigilance, like not being able to turn it off, always scanning the environment, always trying to see if there's uh, uh, something out of order or something that needs to be reacted to, hair trigger anger, sometimes coming out of nowhere, Uh, you know, sometimes just being in a Walgreens store or a, a drug store someplace, shopping and some noise will go off and um, a person can be reliving the trauma just like that. Uh, Sleeplessness is very common. Uh, Suicidal tendencies are very high in PTSD and of course depression. So it's really a multitude of symptoms and characteristics. Is PTSD the modern equivalent of shell shock? Absolutely. This is as close as we can come. It's, it's had different um, different names in different eras. So I think World War One era it was shell shock. Then World War Two was combat fatigue, and it keeps getting different names. But it finally has been recognized as a collection of symptoms, and there are tests for measuring the severity of PTSD. The gold standard on that is something called CAPS, C-A-P-S. So from that, it's diagnosable. So for instance, a veteran who gets out of the military and is having some of these symptoms can go to the VA, the Veterans Administration, and go through a series of tests and find out to what degree it does exist for them and what degree it it doesn't. So is it like something everybody goes through or do you have to uh, apply? I think it's only if you're talking about going to the VA, the Veterans Administration, it would be if someone was in distress. Not everybody goes through that kind of evaluation. 
so when you're finished with your service and you come back home, uh, there's no like um, evaluation before they release you. They just release you. Yes. If there is, and again, I'm not an expert on that, but if there is an evaluation, I think it's minimal. Uh, and these more in-depth tests would only be done when somebody's in distress, you know, and coming to the VA with a variety of severe symptoms. And what happens if they, you know, what's the normal procedure if they get PTSD? Uh, The main line of treatment is pharmaceuticals. So the stories we hear from most of the vets that we encounter is that it was almost like a, a... a rep, the same appointment for each person we talk to. If they say they don't have, they're not sleeping, they're giving a sleeping pill. If they say they're anxious, they're giving a, given anti-anxiety medicine. So they it just symptom by symptom get uh, given these medicines, which in interaction often leave the veterans feeling depressed, suicidal, some impaired cognitive functioning. They often are impotent and they often gain weight. So the stories we've heard in some of the videos we've seen of veterans under this, these handfuls of pharmaceuticals is really devastating. And it's from that that very often the veterans start looking for alternatives if they have the wherewithal. For most veterans, the alternative is drugs that don't cure them, I imagine. Exactly. These are meant to be lifetime drugs. So, for instance, one young gentleman we met who was 23 when he got out of the service was meant to be on, I believe it was 12 different drugs for the rest of his life. So that is, first of all, it doesn't work. Second of all, it's very expensive. And it's meant only to manage symptoms, not to really get at something that we would call healing. Uh, in August of uh, this year, they voted if they were going to make cannabis not be the uh, same schedule as heroin and cocaine. And they voted uh, that it should remain like that. It's like, I'm wondering when is this dinosaur mentality going to f- go away? <laughs> I wish I knew, Alex. I wish I knew. No, it's really, it's mind-blowing that marijuana slash cannabis is still a Schedule One drug. They're already known, and many uh, high-quality research papers showing proven benefits of cannabis. And there are even drugs that have been patented, extracting or... Uh, THC or various elements from cannabis and making them into medicines and then gone through the pharmaceutical company. I don't know if it's a conspiracy, but I I, I imagine that the reason they want to keep it uh, Schedule 1 is because when a drug is Schedule 1, it's much more difficult to do research on it. And because if 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 you make it more legal, more people can do research. And if they do research, they find that it can maybe cure some of these symptoms, and then the pharmaceuticals will will lose a lot of money, I imagine. 
Yes. Well, again, I'll, I'll shy away from conspiracy theories, but you're absolutely right. When it's Schedule 1, it's very difficult to do research. You have probably heard of Dr. Sue Sisley, who has, for six years now, been trying to get her, her triple-blind study through to use marijuana, see its efficacy or its site or its negative effects on veterans with PTSD, the exact group that we're making our movie on. And it has taken so much red tape and so much bureaucratic navigating that it's been almost exhausting. But recently it has been approved, the DEA, the FDA, all of the agencies required have approved it. So she will be starting soon. But one more point along that line is at this point in time, there's only one place. If you're doing FDA-approved trials with cannabis, you have to get your cannabis from the University of Mississippi. And they have not been good about producing specific strains. Now, that just changed because at the same time that they didn't reschedule cannabis from Schedule 1 in that same meeting, they did say that they were going to open up more institutions to grow marijuana for research. So that could be good. That could be good. Perhaps better strains, a uh, little more competition so you get the best quality. It's, it's a good thing. But, of course, we were all disappointed that they didn't reschedule marijuana completely to schedule two or three the problem uh, pharmaceuticals and science i guess have with cannabis making it a medicine is you can't make it exactly the same for each bottle or pill or whatever you make um, not pill but like every 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 harvest is different every plant is different it's extremely complicated because the if it's the FDA I think uh, they have they have to be exact to be approved because they only approve exactly that one so that's what cannabis makes is, is a bit makes it difficult because nobody is none is the same as the other it's absolutely true that and the fact that if you just extract certain pieces of it it's not as effective as when you have all of the elements of the whole plant they call it the entourage effect So if pharmaceutical companies were wanting to just extract one, one gene or one specific part of the plant, it's not as effective as when the whole plant is used. But getting rigorous comparison between this plant and that plant and that plant, it get, it's, it's difficult. I think with cannabis, and you know more because you live in, in the United States, but isn't it one of those few things where the government and the people in control have a completely different view of something than the entire population. Because I imagine most people these days don't think, don't view cannabis the way they do. I'm sure there are groups that are still agreeing with them, but, you know, the majority that are not afraid of cannabis is the largest it's ever been. Maybe in the 50s people were brainwashed into being afraid of it but not these days yeah i believe the some of the, the most recent survey i saw um i believe said that 57 percent 
or even higher of Americans believed marijuana should be legal. And yet, and it could be even higher than that. Uh, I honestly don't remember the exact number. But then, of course, the government has regulations and they, they have their, their reasons that they give. What's behind that, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, there are businesses that stand to lose a lot of money. And in fact, things like opioids have gone down in their usage, pain pills, in states like Colorado since marijuana has become legal. And so have opioid overdoses gone down in Colorado since marijuana became legal. So there, there are big, big powers at play here. That's for sure. It's strange also because if the pharmaceutical companies, you know, don't want to lose money, you know, and they have such an influence on the government, why don't they just make it so the government says that, okay, we'll make all these healing plants legal, but only these pharmaceutical companies are allowed to sell them or something, you know, like just just give them everything. I don't care but as long as they let it go. Well, you should go talk to them. <laughs> many, many people have tried. <laughs> as we know, many of these things are not logical. There are other forces at play. They could be political or psychological. Of all the people who finished their service in the United States military, do you know a number roughly of how many of them get to get PTSD? They estimate that around 20%. And right now, again, that number is hard to pin down, but there's roughly, uh, I think it's 500,000, half a million um, soldiers formally diagnosed with PTSD. And by formally, I mean by the Veterans Administration. So that doesn't mean that the other 80% just go, you know, like nothing happened. No, it doesn't. But I, honest, no, it doesn't mean that. Uh, many people are too ashamed to admit uh, psychological, mental issues. Um, so they don't seek help. Yeah, that they're, they often isolate and they're out on their own and trying to handle it on their own. So it's really hard to get absolute numbers on any of this. Yeah, I never thought about that because being in the military, I mean, it is some sort of macho, you know, mentality. I mean, you have to be strong and brave and power. Maybe it's too much to like ask for help, you know. Well, especially while you're still in, we hear stories of this nature frequently that to admit weakness or frailty or that something's not quite right while you're still serving and particularly when you're in combat zones, uh, it it really is frowned upon, you know, and there's a shame associated with it. And this continues afterwards, oftentimes, as well. It is a, you know, it's a very masculine, for the most part, culture. There's a lot of women now serving. Do they suffer more or less, or maybe there's no figures on that? I don't have figures for that. I did recently speak with a woman who's head of the Women's Veterans Alliance uh, in California. 
And the numbers were high for depression. I remember that. I don't remember specific PTSD numbers, but one thing that we do know is there's a high incidence of military sexual trauma with these women. But that, that's a whole other story, meaning that they are sexually abused by other soldiers. So you're making this documentary. Uh, is it finished or are you still working on it? We are still working on it. We expect it to be out in September of 2017. The structure of the movie is through stories. It's not a lot of research presentations or talking heads. We have people we've chosen to to show the, their journey with cannabis, with ayahuasca, and with MDMA. And so far, we have filmed... And we do it before, so we see them with their PTSD during and after. So for the ayahuasca, we've filmed our two characters beforehand with their families, doing their daily routines, and you get to see the PTSD, how it affects their life. Then we went with them to do their ceremonies. We have then afterwards we've talked to them via Skype and with their wives, and we'll be going back shortly to do the six-month follow-up to see how their lives are now. Is there a difference? And let people view that. We haven't yet started the MDMA portion. The cannabis is a little different. So we have two main characters. The cannabis is used more on a, a daily symptom management basis. It's not as deep of a cure, or cure is not the word, but as deep of a healing as the MDMA and the ayahuasca. But uh, these veterans who use cannabis instead of pharmaceuticals are getting tremendous benefit. And there's no, like, the same kind of side effects. Maybe you want to eat more, but no uh, other that you need more pills for. Right. So, exactly. It. It seems to have so many fewer side effects. It helps with a multitude of things, everything from arthritis to getting better sleep to being able to function and not be as hypervigilant. I mean, really, symptom by symptom, uh, you, you see how the use of cannabis has been extraordinarily beneficial. And there are big groups forming around that. In the United States, there's one called Weed for Warriors, which we're following. They're a national organization. And in Canada, there's a beautiful group called Marijuana for Trauma. They'll, they, have, they will have 16 centers by the end of this year, which is 2016. So where veterans can come and they can't buy their cannabis, but they can uh, process it and smoke it and meet with each other. So it's, it, there's multiple benefits to that type of program. Because honestly, one of the, the difficulties for veterans when they get out, when they're no longer in the military, is that they are alone. They aren't with their brothers and sisters and in this very tight group. So there's... Uh, 
there's a lot of consequences to that. So by Marijuana for Trauma providing a spot for veterans to collect and come together, uh, it's been a, a big part of their healing as well. But they don't, veterans no longer suffer any public scorn as they did in the, when they came home from Vietnam. You know, it's different now. It seems to be quite different, yes, in that regard, that there's more recognition of what of the service that's been given and more public empathy for that, for sure, compared to Vietnam. And then as uh, to be devil's advocate, America is one of those countries where you uh, enlist is a voluntary basis. So like for most of Europe, it's not. And so if you, you get forced into do the military and then you get your PTSD and, you know, like it's not even your fault, really. You, you had you had no say. But for Americans, it's in a way also it's didn't they bring it on themselves like they joined up and they know what, you know, you don't join the military thinking it's going to be a picnic. Yes, we hear this. You could call it a criticism oftentimes. Um, But here's one thing I would say. Imagine you're an 18-year-old boy. Imagine this was before 9-11 when it wasn't so expected that you would be going to war and you come from a lower-income family and this becomes a way where you can get some job training, earn a living, and get a step ahead. So for one, certainly for one group of young people, they weren't expecting to go to war and they found themselves having to deploy. The other groups that sign up, they're still, I mean, nobody really knows what war is like and what they will encounter. It especially in this day and age when people watch video games and watch TV, you know, it seems distant. So to your point, yes, they're signing up, especially the ones that signed up after 9-11, knowing that they may see combat. Many of the vets we interview wanted to be in combat because they felt a nationalism or they felt like they wanted to protect our country or people, the young people that were over there, they wanted to be leaders for them. But we still can't blame them for the war in general and what they encountered and some of the things that then they were expected to do, which constitute a moral injury. Um, Sometimes when you're following orders, you're, You're in that machine. It's really hard to bucket. I have a friend uh, in Israel who did military service there. And during his military service, he he was a sniper. He They told him to shoot a child. And uh, he missed on purpose. And he, well, he got some form of, of, of punishment. But uh, I guess that's what you mean. Like you, 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 you he, I mean... Okay, he he couldn't choose to enlist, but I mean, I'm sure if he it was a choice to enlist, he didn't imagine he was going to be told to shoot children, you know. 
Exactly, exactly. And some of the missions that our vets were sent on. You know, so there is that. And some honestly, some of the vets, uh, you know, it isn't always just the combat that wounds them. Um, in one sense, they're trained to do that. So it's, it's the lack of processing afterwards. And there's no time, you know, it's uh, no time to really absorb what went on. And while you're in a combat zone, that's not the time to be sensitive. So it's off, that's why oftentimes it's a couple years after they return to the United States that the PTSD symptoms emerge. We said earlier that uh, uh, veterans have more respect these days than they did in the Vietnam War era. But does that even go into what, you know, you know whatever pay they get after they come back or help from the government? Or is, is the government ignoring, the, ignoring this? Oh, it's so individual, truly. Um, if... If I and I know very little about this veterans benefits, just all I know is what I hear from uh, the men and women we meet. But many of them do, if their PTSD is debilitating enough, they do get benefits for that. They don't always get the kind of care that they require, uh, even getting in sometimes to see a psychologist at the Veterans Administration is difficult. So it's quite a can of worms over here. So they don't have the stigma, as you mentioned, as was associated with Vietnam veterans, unfortunately. Um, But there's still many problems, and there are so many of them, so many veterans, because this war, these wars have gone on for what, 14 years now, since 2002? And many of them have five and six deployments. So it's a very different kind of military than we had 20 years ago. Do do these people you found for your documentary, were they already thinking about doing ayahuasca or MDMA, or did you like suggest it to them, or how did that work? Yeah, as documentary filmmakers, we're not recruiting. So we were lucky enough to be in touch with someone named Ryan LeCompte, who had gone uh, to Peru with a group of veterans. Ryan is a Marine, and he has an organization called Veterans for Entheogenic Therapy. Short, the acronym is VET, V-E-T. You can look it up online. So he went, CNN, the broadcaster, uh, accompanied him and some other vets when they went to Peru to do ayahuasca. From that, he has now, uh, he has quite a long list of veterans who have come to him who want to try ayahuasca to help with their PTSD. And it's through him that we met the veterans that we have filmed. So the short answer to your question is, these are veterans who are already considering it. And we were fortunate enough to be able to accompany them before, during, and after their experience. 
So are you hoping that this film will start more of a debate for people who may not might not realize these things? I mean, people who use these plants already, they're already convinced. But do you think you want to convince, you know, the what's the what's the motivation for you? Yes. Well, you were beginning to describe it. Yes, we hope through stories, through watching these humans, both in their PTSD, during a, cer- during a ceremony, if we're just using ayahuasca as an example, and then afterwards to move the hearts of people, to let them see and judge for themselves whether they think these substances are beneficial or not. Let them witness the transformation that we've seen and make, and I, I defy anybody to say that these plants are evil or that they shouldn't be given a try when a veteran has that uh, proclivity and wants to try to treat his or her own PTSD. So yes, our aim is to move the hearts of people who might have very bad, uh, through lack of information, very bad information about some of these substances, and also ultimately to get them rescheduled from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2 so that therapists and clergy people uh, would be able to use them in therapeutic settings. And did you finance this uh, documentary yourself, or did you do like Kickstarter or something like that? Well, it's... First of all, it's still being funded and financed. Uh, In the beginning, it was our own money. We did do an Indiegogo campaign, and that got us a certain way. Then we just got a donation from uh, a person who will be a producer on it that's going to be enough money to finish filming through the end of this year. And then we'll be doing fundraising uh, through organizations and individuals to uh, do post-production and to really, you know, do everything top-notch to get the best editor and post-production facilities that we can afford to make a worthy movie to have it be in theaters. I think you have an excellent poster anyway, because uh, except for the little trailer you've done, that's the only thing I've seen. Uh-huh. Well, I should send you. We do do newsletters with clips as ongoing. So I can send you those newsletters and you can look at the clips in there and also our website which is from shock to awe.com. Uh there's so much information on there. We have clips of many veterans. We have experts on there, Stan Groff. Um you know, many uh, people who are uh, well-versed in this field and experts and veterans and little film clips of things that are emerging in our film. So uh, that would be the best source of information. Can people donate still to if you're doing fundraising on the website? Absolutely. There's a place to donate there and all at least in the United States, all donations are tax deductible because our our fiscal sponsor is 
MAPS, you may have heard of them, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Yes, uh, we I had them on the podcast uh, a while back. Yes, they're they're a premier organization in the US for getting these studies through FDA approval. They are the ones sponsoring the MDMA studies that are getting such good results. Um there's also the Hefter Foundation and several others that are really focusing on the research to help get these rescheduled and get them in their proper place because there's so much potential good so much good when used responsibly from the MDMA the ayahuasca and cannabis honestly one thing we haven't talked so much about but maybe you can say something so it's not only the veteran who suffers PTSD that gets uh, that receives suffering you know it's uh, how does it affect everybody around you know like family members and all this oh excellent excellent question and one of the f- one of the foci of our film are the wives and the families because it's absolutely true that the untreated veteran with PTSD traumatizes his own family and community because of erratic behavior oftentimes, not always, but uh, because of the uh, hair-trigger aggression, because of the sleeplessness and the hypervigilance and so many of the other characteristics, it, you know, it, it takes a toll on the children and the wives in their immediate area. And of course their parents, anybody, because there's a helpless feeling. Um, so we believe this PTSD goes deep into the society and not only for the vets, but for people who, all people who have had trauma that's debilitating in their current lives. Uh, the research has been done on, with MDMA for rape victims and first responders like firefighters or policemen because they have their own traumatic events. Um, Research on psilocybin is going on uh, for not only for spiritual enlightenment and experience, but for people with end-of-life anxiety, people who have gotten a for instance, a cancer diagnosis and are predicted to only be able to live for six more months. So the anxiety that arises and the worry oftentimes presents, prevents them from living a full life until they do die. So psilocybin is being used for that purpose, as is MDMA. So there are many points of suffering on this planet that the plants and MDMA have great potential to alleviate the suffering. Um, And all of us in this field, you included, are just saying, let's give it a chance. Responsibly, you know, by people who are trained and do it in a responsible set and setting. Because the research so far is astounding. I think my own 
first experience of seeing somebody on PTSD, even though it was a fictional film, was this movie, it's, it's a bit old now, but it's called Born the Fourth of July with Tom Cruise. Would you say that's like fairly accurate, you know, how, how it can be? I mean, of course, it's a movie and they maybe go over the top, you know, a lot of things is happening to Tom Cruise in that film, but, you know, you know, as a, as a general, you know, how how he, like, goes in a downward spiral, you know. Well, on, I have to be honest, I haven't seen it since it came out. But from what I remember, the anger accompanied by helplessness, because he also was a paraplegic, as I recall. Um, I, I can't honestly comment on that, but I wouldn't be surprised. There, there are just several movies that address PTSD directly or indirectly. So your family, were they uh, like in the World War, the Second World War? My father, yeah. My father was a World War II vet and also then went to Korea, but actually right after the fighting had stopped, but was still subject to seeing the ravages of war. I have to say he... He held a lot in, but he was not an angry man, nor was he abusive in any way. In fact, he was quite the opposite. He was quite a wise man. But it's partly in his honor that I make this movie. And several of my friends who were Vietnam vets were no longer alive. So it's also to bow to them, as well as a big bow to the substances of ayahuasca, MDMA, and cannabis, which I think are very powerful uh, influencers on consciousness. And hopefully maybe one day in the future, the future George Bush and Saddam Hussein, whoever is in the future, uh, maybe they can take an ayahuasca ceremony and maybe avoid the war war in the first place. (laughs) We often fantasize about this (laughs) you know just that to have that change of consciousness for those who seem committed to war and we all know it's a very complex issue that's for sure and I believe all of us would wish for a peaceful planet were it possible Um, and in my view these substances have that potential to to really change a consciousness. They changed mine. Uh, and once you see the unity of all things, it's really hard to go back and pretend. For me personally, how ayahuasca worked is because before I wor- uh, started working with ayahuasca, I had a lot of anger and uh, hate, especially... Uh, towards my father who abandoned me uh, or uh, me and my mother so I had like this revenge and what I was going to do to him and you know and if somebody upset me you know I was thinking like oh I'm gonna mess with him or you know like revenge angry thoughts and uh, after the ayahuasca for some it was like a weight on my shoulder it's just I just let it go and it uh I don't know how it works. It just goes away, and I, I'm. It's a change of perspective, and that's because people go well. 
especially veterans who haven't done these substances, they go, you can never get rid of PTSD. It's always with you. And there's no argument that these vets will, and just like you, not forget what happened, but the perspective with which they interpret it is what can change. And it has so much less anger and hatred in it and self-hatred. So it's that compassion, you know, that really, that becomes a reality, not just a concept. Great. So can you mention the website again, if people want to check it out? Yes, we would love for you to check it out. We put a lot of work in that website. <laughs> it's www, of course, from shock to awe, no spaces, from shock to awe.com. And I hope you get that reference. You know, when we first attacked Iraq, it was an offense that the military called shock and awe, which was meant to intimidate the country that we were bombing. And so we played with that phrase and because what we think happens is of course for our veterans they go from shock and being in shock to potential awe when they do view the universe through the eyes of these substances great thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me yes well as i said i feel we're all kindred spirits i would imagine most people who listen to your podcasts are empathetic and as we often say, it's going to take an army to help change change the worldview on these topics. And I just wanted to say also that uh, even if it's like a year almost in the future where the movie is finished, uh, you know, the website, they can uh, follow the progress and uh, view things along the way. Absolutely, especially if on our website you sign up for our newsletter. So that we do quarterly, and where we we provide new clips of what we filmed, um, where we keep people up to date with what's happening in our filming schedule. So the website itself is where you can sign up for the newsletter. Okay. Well, uh, thank you again so much for talking to me. Yes, thank you, Alex. I appreciate what you do. It takes effort, and you're doing good for the planet. To find out more, go to fromshocktoawe.com. Now let's enjoy some Shirobon and the track Perfect Machine from the album Distant Reality. If you like this music, surf over to shirobon.bandcamp.com. That's S-H-I-R-O-B-O-N.bandcamp.com. All the links I mentioned can be found in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com I hope you will tune in next Sunday. Till then have a great week. Freedom is in the mind. <laughs>